It's your radio sisters. I'm Rachel. I'm Bo. And I'm Ally Cat. Well, we're singers, songwriters, and sisters. And if you're curious about the creative process like we are, stick around right here. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories and interviews from the world's biggest stars and most creative minds. You'll take away artistic gems to fuel your own creative process and get that project started already. Or get the mojo to keep on going. That's right. It's time for the Mulberry Lane Show. Hey, it's Allie along with your radio sisters, Rachel and Bo, and we're so glad you're along for the creative ride today. Now, if you have roadblock, writer's block, or any kind of mental block, we want you to hang out today on the Mulberry Block for a bit because we've got an hour full of remedy just for you. You said it, Allie. Okay, sisters, let's get to those guests. Let's get to it, sisters. The Mulberry Lane Show's on. Celebrity story songs. You're gonna have it going on when we tell you who's stopping by now. First, it's Grammy-nominated and CMA Song of the Year singer-songwriter Gretchen Peters. You guys, you probably best know Gretchen from the massive hit she wrote for Martina McBride, Independence Day. Let freedom ring. going to take you to the heart and soul of her new album, Dancing with the Beast. You're going to meet the characters in her songs, and you're going to hear about her unique way of writing, which is more similar to a novelist than to a singer-songwriter. And there is love that makes a cup of tea Asked you how you do listens quietly Hear Gretchen's thoughts on being a woman singer-songwriter in Nashville, and she also has some amazing tips for you on keeping your creativity alive. You'll love hanging out with Gretchen. Mm-hmm. Okay, sisters, who's next? Well, next up, guys, you're going to hear from guitar virtuoso Gary Hoey. Gary's listed as one of the top 100 guitarists of all time. And we're pretty stoked to have Gary back on our show today. Now, Gary's traveling through the heartland, and you can catch him May 8th in Lincoln at the Zoo Bar, May 10th in Kansas City, and May 11th in Omaha at the Chrome Lounge. You're going to hear all about his brand new album, Neon Highway Blues. You're going to get schooled in the blues. Yes, and Gary has a very cool way of punctuating today's conversations with his guitar. That's right. You're going to love it. (laughs) Don't fret. Gary Hoey's coming up soon. You had to do it, Rachel. (laughs) She can't help herself. (laughs) All right, then finally, for the lifestyle part of the show, you guys are going to hang out with hashtag Ask the Mayo Mom. Yes, Dr. Angela Matkey from the Mayo Clinic is here to tell you all about about the brand new book, Mayo Clinic Guide to Raising a Healthy Child. Now this book addresses some key issues that you might be facing in raising your kids and pediatrician Dr. Matt Key is here to help you navigate the twists and turns of parenting like a boss. Okay, well, before we go to break, you know, we really love encouraging you guys, giving you high fives for going after the things in your life. Well, we want a high five from you this week (laughs) because we have a problem as sisters. We're just not the most organized people. We tend to run late a lot of places. And it's kind of like the organizational gene. Skipped our family entirely. Yes. (laughs) So we have planned these weekly meetings where we do nothing else except try to get ourselves more organized. 
meetings. Organizational meetings. Yes, and it's working really well. I we mean, had our first one on Monday. Yes, and we're late to them, of course. <laughs> but for the time that we get, I mean, we feel like things are running smoother. And we're trying to do specific things like get organized on Google Docs. We're all sharing the same documents of the guests on the show. We're trying to sync our phones on the same calendar. It's the kind of stuff that we never think about kind doing that. stuff that. that probably everybody else does, but, but we, don't we do. just haven't done yet. <laughs> we love chatting with you on all our social media channels, mm-hmm. and we love getting the feedback. So actually, you have honestly inspired us to get more organized so that we can communicate better. And so we can do our job better. Right. And if you have any organizational tips or tricks you want to share with us, DM us on any of our socials. We need all the encouragement <laughs> we can get in this department. All right. Well, our next guest definitely has her songwriting chops in order. That she does. You're going to hear from Grammy-nominated and CMA Song of the Year winner Gretchen Peters. It's a good one, guys. Keep it right here with your radio sisters on The, the Mulberry, Mulberry Lane Show. Show. This segment is brought to you by Braddock Finnegan Dermatology, Advanced Comprehensive Medical, Surgical, and Cosmetic Dermatologic Care. BraddockFinnegan.com Your weekend getaway. Glad you're hanging out here on the Mulberry Lane Show. I'm Bo, here with my sisters, Rachel and Allie. Right now, you guys are going to meet and hang out with Nashville singer-songwriter, Grammy nominee, Gretchen Peters. Her feminist anthem, Independence Day, recorded by Martina McBride, won the CMA Award for Best Song in 1995. She's also written songs for Shania, Etta James, Patti Loveless, and many others. And this 2014 inductee into the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame's latest album, Dancing with the Beast, is out now. This album puts women characters of all ages front and center as it fearlessly explores the complexities of life. Welcome, welcome to the show, Gretchen Peters. That is the best intro I've ever had. (laughs) Thanks for saying that. Great to have you. Great to be here. In your bio, it says that this was written sandwiched between the Women's March and then kind of ended with the Me Too movement. So how much did all of that play into what inspired this album? Well, it, it all played into it in the sense that, you know, none of us write in a vacuum. You know, I started writing the songs for this album. For the most part, they were written in 2017. So I I knew I was going to have to deal with what was going on in the world because that's, you know, what's going on in the world affects us all personally, too. Um, It's not like I sat down and purposely thought, okay, well, women are having a moment, so I'm going to write an album about women. It it was not at all that kind of a thing. Really, what happened for me, and what happened for me in songwriting in general, is that characters start to assert themselves in my mind, in my psyche somewhere, and they start talking to me, and I started hearing a lot of women's and girls' voices that intrigued me and I started writing those stories you know when I got through the middle of writing the songs I thought wow this looks like a record that's women and girls right at the front like you said some of the songs from a girl's perspective and then there's one from an older woman's perspective too yeah there's actually a couple in my mind anyway the characters and at least a couple of the songs are very very old women Uh yeah so do these ideas come to you inspired by people you know or do they just crawl out of your mind I think that my whole focus on writing songs is to try and bring out what's going on in my subconscious, you know, kind of tap into that. And so I think the end result 
is when the songs are done, I, I recognize people that I know in okay. real life. Like, for instance, in the song Disappearing Act, after yes. I'd written it, I recognized a lot of my mother in okay. there. Again, it's not like I sat down and said, you know, I think I'll write a song about my mom. It's more that she was in there. The subtle and, influences um, of her came out. It, yeah, part of her came out in that song. And it's, it's not just her, it's other women, too. There's never any kind of neat answer to that because it's just a big amalgam of whatever's going on down in there. Okay. Now, what's interesting to me is, you know, we interview a lot of different people in the arts on the show, and what you're describing, telling the stories of these characters, is almost more what we hear from novelists than songwriters. So do you feel yeah, like your I, process is a little bit different than other songwriters? I do sometimes. I'm very influenced by novels. Novels are like lifeblood to me. Uh-huh. And the other thing that I depend on for kind of creative food is films. So I tend to write really visually and I tend to write in terms of characters, probably more so than a lot of songwriters, because really at the heart of it, I'm a storyteller. You know, storytellers are drawn to characters. They're drawn to certain people and certain attributes that are fascinating and inspiring to them. And that's kind of how I feel about my characters and my songs. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter Gretchen Peters here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, do you feel like before you're able to write the song from the perspective of the character, do you feel like you have to kind of know more about the character? Do you explore that side? I definitely do. And in fact, I teach songwriting workshops, and one of the big things that I try to get my students to do is do the backstory of the character. In other words, you have to really live with that character for a while and let them start speaking to you. And, you know, there's tons of novelists who, if you read books on writing, they'll say the same thing. You you have to wait until these characters become real and start breathing. And then they start talking to you, and then they basically tell you what to write. For the song to be authentic at all, you have to live with them. Because I think at the heart of it, what songwriters and writers and artists in general are doing is empathizing. Right. And if you know a character well enough that to empathize with them, then you can write truthfully about them. Okay, so now how much of you ends up coming out in the songs? Oh, I think more than I want. <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't think there's any way to avoid right. that. And I think that's fine, and I think it's part of what makes people feel opened up by your songs is, is the feeling that you yourself have been vulnerable. Uh-huh. And I think that, so it's, I think it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Now, do you often co-write or is it mostly you? I don't co-write a lot. I came to Nashville and people may or may not know that Nashville is a big co-writing it town. Is. I, mean, they, I never found it to be a natural experience for me. Uh-huh. It always felt a lot to me like somebody saying, uh, you're going to go on a blind date with somebody and, oh, by the way, you have to show up naked. You know, it's just just so revealing and terrifying. So I, over the years, have learned that I'm not a natural co-writer, but I have a couple people that I really feel comfortable and close enough with and unguarded enough with that I can co-write with them. I can imagine with your songwriting process, the way it is, so personal to you that I could see how (laughs) co-writing would mess that up for you. Yeah, and also, you know, I mean, when you go to a co-writing session, you're kind of expected to have something, a melody or some lines or, you know, a verse or something like that. 
And uh, my process is so often I'm just kind of living with the character in my head for a long time right. before right. I write any words. Uh-huh. So it's, it's not a natural thing no. for me. I think you laid the basis for a new reality show. I think it should be Naked and Afraid songwriting. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> So this process has been your process for quite some time because you wrote Independence Day from the standpoint of an eight-year-old girl. Oddly enough, it's a is a point of view that I come back to a lot. I've written more than one song from that point of view. I don't know. I think writers tend to they they have kind of old scabs they go back to pick at (laughs) you know over and over again. They go to the same scenarios and the same things. And that point of view of a child who is watching the adults around her kind of fly apart. Did that song come out of personal experience? Only in the sense that I was eight years old when my parents divorced, and so I understood from a pretty visceral place how it feels to be that age and have your world kind of fly apart. The part about the domestic abuse, all of that, the storyline was all completely in my imagination. Uh But that little girl, I had great empathy with and I felt like I understood her so I felt like I was able to write from her point of view. Right. So now Dancing with the Beast, where did the title come from? Well that was uh, a song that I did co-write with a friend and frequent co-writer of mine named Ben Glover and we had taken a lunch break and we were coming back to my writing room we were talking about depression he said something to the effect of yeah, I've been dancing with the Beast a lot lately myself. And I said, hold up, we're going to write that song. It really got bigger than just being about depression. It was about whatever the things that you really have to face down in life and animate it and make that a person. You know, the Beast came out, character-wise, came out to be sort of an abusive boyfriend type, you know, a kind of someone who gaslights you, tells you that, you know, what you think you're seeing is not what you're really seeing. And right. I think that's a lot the way depression is, and I think that's the way we feel about our deepest inner fears. They lie to us. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the voice in your head that tells you all the bad things mm-hmm. at three in the morning when you can't sleep, that kind of thing. And we... We just kind of animated it and made it a person. We'll be right back with more from singer-songwriter Gretchen Peters right here on the Mulberry Lane Show. And we're taking you to break with the massive hit that Gretchen wrote for Martina McBride. Here's Independence Day. Let freedom ring. Dr. Mary Finnegan of Braddock Finnegan Dermatology is here to tell you about Aqua Gold. So Aqua Gold is a small vial that has small stainless steel needles that are finer than a human hair in which we can leave product in the surface of the skin. The procedure takes about 15 minutes for the whole face. It gives a very dewy look, an airbrushed look. There's mild redness, otherwise no downtime at all. Aqua Gold at Braddock Finnegan Dermatology. That's BraddockFinnegan.com. This next segment is brought to you by Stoke and Goat. Come check out their one-of-a-kind patio and new cocktails. Stoke and Goat, 158th and Maple. 
your one-stop shop for creativity. Welcome back to the Mulberry Lane Show. This is Rachel with your radio sisters, Bo and Allie. Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter Gretchen Peters is here with you this weekend. In the first part of the interview, you heard all about her new album, Dancing with the Beast, and how the Beast represents depression or maybe those thoughts that you have that make you feel less than worthy. Gretchen is sharing her creative process, how the concept of the album came together, and the challenges she's faced in the music industry. Let's get back right now with Gretchen Peters. So now, what are the things that you've had to face down being a female singer-songwriter in Nashville. Oh, how long is your podcast? <laughs> <Right>. No. <laughs> um, well, I mean, first of all, just the thing you just said, which I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not casting aspersions on you guys because this is the way it is. But we are all called female singer-songwriters right. by default, and yeah. you know, um, every woman that I know that does what we do just wants to be considered a singer-songwriter. My second publishing deal in Nashville back in 1990, I asked my new publisher why she was signing me. She was a woman. And she said, because I want some more female singer-songwriters around here. And I just thought, don't you just want good ones? Right. You know? Yeah. Um, But that's just one of the things that comes up for every woman that I know that's here trying to work in the music business. It makes it hard to ignore that when the majority of the airplay in country music are men. Well, that's true, too. And the thing about that is that that's not new news. I mean, when I was having success, and a lot of my success was with female artists recording my songs, Martina McBride, Patti Loveless, Faith Hill, Susie Boggess, Pam Tillis, they were having to struggle with radio stations that would only, literally only play one woman per hour on their station. And this is in the 90s. And then they would never play two women back to back. This whole issue is nothing new. And I hate to see that we really haven't progressed as far as country radio goes anyway. Mm Very and if anything, it's almost gotten worse, I think. <laughs> I, think it, I think it has. And, but I think the silver lining and the good part is that a lot of female artists have seen that they can do it Go for around. themselves. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the world has opened up to all of us. I took a left turn in the year 2000 after my first record deal, and I just said, I'm never going to do that again. I want to mm-hmm. be captain of my own ship. I want to make right. my own decisions. Yep. and. That was early to be doing that, but now look around you. I mean, it's possible to be completely independent and to be very successful, too, which is, that is a huge improvement. That is. It is huge. Yeah. So now, what do you hope people take away? First and foremost, I hope that they're moved. This is going to sound terrible, but if I see somebody crying at one of my shows, I feel really good because I know I've done my job. You know, you've touched touched someone. You know, I guess because I came to music because it moved me, it was cathartic for me. Sad songs really make me happy it make me not feel so alone and so when I feel like I've given that to someone in my audience I feel like that's success to me just being able to move people and open their hearts up especially when you write character songs you know involving characters that may be so different I always think about John Steinbeck and the Grapes of Wrath and I think that book has moved millions and millions of people very, very few of whom were Okies in the Dust Bowl. You know, exactly. he was able. You know, he was able to make us feel everything that those characters felt, and not to be too highfalutin about it, but that's the way you get a better world. I think the personal becomes universal. 
Absolutely, and it opens up our empathy and our hearts, and I think we become kinder people because of that. And we understand I hope that, more about each other. Yeah. Yes, that's always where I'm aiming in terms of you know writing these little stories. Mm-hmm. Singer-songwriter Gretchen Peters right here, joining your weekend on The Mulberry Lane Show. On your new album, do you have a favorite character or just one in particular you might want to tell our audience about? There's always one song in the process of writing an album that raises its head and says, I'm pointing the way for you now. I had a sense of where I was going after I wrote this song, and it's the song The Boy From Rye. Okay. Maybe because partly it was really written from a memory of being 13, 14 years old. When I had the idea for it, I realized I really want to write this partly because I don't know that many songs about how treacherous a time adolescence is for girls. I wanted to talk about things that we don't always like to talk uh-huh. about in that song. Uh-huh. Would you say it was freeing in a way? Yeah, I think it's always freeing to write about something you're a little bit afraid of. Yeah. Over the past several albums, I just made a real conscious decision to go to the place that I was the most afraid of, and it yeah. was very fruitful for me. So I think I've learned when I feel a little bit nervous and a little bit edgy about writing about something, that's the place I need to go. And you trust it. And it is absolutely free. And then before we let you go, one of the purposes of this show is life gets so complicated, life gets so busy, that a lot of times the first thing we give up is our creativity because there's so many things that have to be done. So how have you managed to keep your creativity alive during the busy times of life? It's such a great question, and I talk about this when I teach songwriting workshops. I think the first thing that you have to do, honor your talent. If you poo-poo it, if you let that voice inside of you that says, well, you're not really a writer, it's just a hobby, or whatever your internal critic is saying, if you let that voice be the only voice that you hear, you're never going to make time for it. And so I think the The first thing... (laughs) Yes, exactly. I think the first thing you have to do is honor your talent and accept that it's a part of you. There's three other things. You have to make a time for it, even if it's only an hour a day, even if you got to get up an hour early just to do it so that the rest of the day doesn't get in your way. You have to have a place where you do it, whether that's a corner of your house or an office or taking a walk and talking into a a phone, you know, or you have to have a plate. The third thing is you have to have time alone. You've got to make time for solitude. Because even if you're a songwriter who co-writes all the time, I still believe that the real spark of creativity happens primarily when you're in a place of solitude. Mm -hmm. I agree. It's where you can be most honest with yourself, too. Absolutely. And, And not feel judged. Absolutely. Well, let's hope, let's hope so, except you got to deal with that beast first. Right, that beast in your head. Yeah. <laughs> well, Gretchen, we want to thank you so much for joining the show and letting us in on your creative process, hearing about how this album came together, and we'd love to catch up with you down the road. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Nashville-based singer-songwriter Gretchen Peters here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Be sure to download Dancing with the Beast. And here's a song off the new album, Love That Makes a Cup of Tea. When we come back, meet guitar virtuoso Gary Hoey. There is love that moves a mountain. There is love that beats a drum. There is love that fights for justice, knowing justice won't be done. There is love that goes 
goes to prison Love that goes to war There is love that rows a lifeboat Towards some shining golden shore And there is love That makes a cup of tea The Stoke and Goat. Funny name, casual atmosphere, and seriously good food. The Goat's new spring menu is here with summer salads, light seafood, and chicken entrees. Enjoy their fabulous patio, craft cocktails, and weekend brunch. Stoke and Goat, 158th and Maple. This next segment is brought to you by Taxis. Check out their spring menu with new appetizers, sandwiches, and entrees, plus fun cocktails on the patio. Taxis, 120th and Blondo. Be like Albert, Albert Einstein. Creativity is contagious. Pass it on. Welcome back to the Mulberry Lane Show. I'm Bo, here with my sisters, Rachel and Allie. Neon Highway Blues is the latest album from guitar virtuoso Gary Hoey. Now, he usually stops by the show on his holiday tour, but this time it's all about the blues. So guys, mark your calendar because Gary's coming through the Heartland May 8th in Lincoln at the Zoo Bar, May 10th in Kansas City, and May 11th in Omaha. Welcome, welcome to the show, Gary Hoey. Hi, good morning. I love my intro. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. So now, this album is all about the blues, and you hear so often that, you know, the blues are difficult to master. And I know you've been playing blues for a long time, but just talk a little bit about what your approach to the blues is. The blues is always a challenge for me because I've made 20-something albums between, you know, the Christmas music and all this other instrumental guitar music. And then I got back to singing and doing the blues. And and I just find that when I go in the studio to cut a blues song, I think that was a great take. And then I go back in and I listen and I'm like, wow, it doesn't have any energy to it, you know, or it doesn't have the right performance. You know, we could play the same song every night and it won't be the same every night because it's a blues song, you know. It's so much open for interpretation. Exactly. And that's what I find difficult in the studio is it does it sound like a performance or does it sound like a perfectly placed note? So that's the challenge for me, you know, and I grew up listening to all the blues classics. During the making of this album, I kept putting on Albert Collins and B.B. King and listening to just simple stuff like, you know. You know, and just trying to find, like, the little subtle things, like the way B.B. King would kind of go. You know, and just that vibrato. And those are the things I focused on a lot with this album. Okay, so how particular were you? Were you kind of after a feel when you would listen back? Were you listening for the feel? Well, this album, it covers a lot of the stuff that I love about the blues. There's a funky song I did with Eric Gale. It's got like an old school kind of... um, like Then it's got kind of a Jeff Beck... Kind of a little hook line, but I also wanted to make sure... You know, I put in some heavier songs like um, kind of a groove like you know, and we get someone like a Lance Lopez from Texas. Lance came in and played. You know, just that. So this is really a journey through the blues. This album. Yeah, absolutely. You know, some of my influences come from like the old school stuff like Zeppelin and the Black Sabbath and, you know, where they would be playing sort of blues inspired riffs, I guess I call it, as opposed to just the one, four, five blues progressions. And one of the songs has a riff, reminds me of kind of an old Zeppelin. You've got this riff, it goes. 
You know what I mean? And it's oh, yeah. kind of a groovy song, mm-hmm. but it still has that rock energy. People that don't know Gary Hoey, my history is started out doing instrumental music for 15 years, and then I scored a movie called Endless Summer, and I did a whole bunch of surf music. So I've kind of been going around different areas in the business, but now I've settled into the blues, and getting back to, you know, singing was, uh, was a challenge. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So as far as, like, writing lyrics, what's your approach? I'm a title guy. I listen for titles of songs because okay. I heard Bob Dylan years ago say, if your song title doesn't say what the song is about, you might not have a song. Okay. So right. the mercy of love, you know, the title just hit me one day. I was thinking you could be at the mercy of the courts, the weather, but what if you're at the mercy of love? You know, the mercy of love is just something, you know, you can't get around. You know what I'm that's saying? A, that's right. that's um, a whole different thing. Exactly. There's a song called Your Kind of Love, which is about a bad love, but the song kind of has this happy, you know, it's like a... You know, it's got kind of a happy feel, but the whole song, it goes, And I know, and I'm mine, when you tell me you'll be mine, but I see that it ain't what it was gonna be. Time for me to go, baby. I don't need your kind of love. So it's got like a happy feel, but he's really saying, you know, this person's driving them crazy. Yeah. Well, if you've just joined us, you're listening to guitar virtuoso Gary Hoey right here on the Mulberry Lane Show. You spent some time producing Lita Ford. So talk about your time with her and what you learned from that project. Oh, you know, it's always great to produce other people. I learned a lot about listening for the performance and the character, as opposed to trying to make it perfect. I do think when artists start out, you know, they strive for perfection, and that's not really what it's about. It's about the feeling and the emotion. Yes, absolutely. I've learned that over and over again, and that's why when I'm in my studio here in New Hampshire, you know, I have my studio set up so that we can just make the demo become the album. Like when Lita comes over, I'm like, okay, well, let me put up a good microphone because this could become the album, you know? Whereas in the older days, we would make a complete demo, then we would completely make a new track for the album, and sometimes we couldn't even beat the demo vocal. I'd be like, oh man, that vocal in the demo was better than the album. And I think a lot yes, of that is because yes. there's no pressure. Yes, exactly. There's something about just singing from the heart and not letting your mind get in the way. And I do that a lot with people when I'm producing. I just throw tracks on. I'm like, yeah, let me uh, let me set my levels here and uh, just keep playing for a little while. I'm not going to start recording. And then I actually record. I don't tell them that. So. Right. right. <laughs> of course, no one's going to trust me now because they heard this interview. Right, right. <laughs> so if anybody ends up working with you, they're going to know all your tracks. <laughs> I know. I blew my whole cover now. <laughs> so, you know, how do you capture that feeling? either giving the best performance or you know piecing together the best performance how do you find that in the studio my judge is always just playing from the heart but then i play my takes back and i go around the studio just doing like something completely mundane like cleaning organizing books and then all of a sudden i just kind of go that was cool or i call it the dog ear like if my dog ear goes up yes i get um, that and you kind of wait to hear what stands out or something will grab you and you'll be like you know i think i could do that one thing better and you know, so I just try to trust my instincts. So now, over time, of course, blues has evolved and gone through different stages. Talk a little bit about the old traditional masters versus the stages the blues has gone through and then how it's affected your approach to the blues. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, for me, when I was younger and I really wanted to get into the blues, I found out that it's really studying the masters. So I went back to B.B. King studied, you know, live at the Regal and different albums. What he taught me a lot was the subtleties in the blues, like the way B.B. King would kind of go, you know. 
<laughs> you know, and the way he would just kind of leave, you know, that vibrato and the phrasing. And then you fast forward to like a Stevie Ray Vaughan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and Stevie has this power and this ferocious energy with the blues that he kind of got from Albert King. It reminds me of a time I went to see B.B. King and Stevie Ray Vaughan play together at the Greek Theater in Los Angeles. It was one of the most amazing nights of music I've ever experienced. Stevie Ray Vaughan came out and he opened the show. Okay. He's doing his Stevie Ray Vaughan thing. He's just like, you know. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's just tearing it up. Yeah. And we're just freaking out. And at the end of the show, now B.B. King's coming on stage. And I'm sitting there going, like, how is B.B. King going to follow that? Uh-huh. You know, Stevie just brought the house down, and all of a sudden, out comes B.B. King, and the band's going up. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. B.B. King. And I'm going, oh, my God, what is this? It sounds like Las Vegas, you know. Right? And I'm kind of freaking out, and B.B. King walks out, he's waving, and he just puts his hand up in the air, and all of a sudden, the band stops, and he goes... <laughs> and he holds this note for, like, 45 seconds. Oh. And then the drummer does this, like, bop, boom, boom, bop, boom, boom. <laughs> and he hits the second note. Uh-huh. And he holds it for another 45 seconds. Uh-huh. And I'm telling you, people weren't breathing for two minutes. Oh, it oh. was insane. And I stood there and I went, okay, the master has arrived. Yeah. <laughs> he took control of the room. He said, okay, the young puppy has played. Now it's time for daddy to come out. Well, we're going to leave it right here at that cool blues story. You're going to hear more from guitar virtuoso Gary Hoey next weekend on the Mulberry Lane Show. Don't forget to check out his dates May 8th in Lincoln at the Zoo Bar and May 11th in Omaha at the Chrome Lounge. Stay right there because hashtag Ask the Mayo Mom is up next. Keep it right here with your radio sisters on the Mulberry Lane Show. Taxi's new spring menu is here with new appetizers, sandwiches, and entrees, and a fun selection of cocktails. Enjoy them all on the new patio. Come see what's new this spring at Taxi's 120th and Blondo. Let's dive back in the Mulberry Lane Show. I'm Bo, here with my sisters, Rachel and Allie. Well, if you're in the throes of raising kids, you're going to want to get your hands on the Mayo Clinic Guide to Raising a Healthy Child. Now, with input from the collective wisdom of Mayo Clinic pediatric experts, you guys are going to get all kinds of support during this important journey. Now, Dr. Angela Matkey, Mayo pediatrician, mom, and host of the Facebook Live show, Ask the Mayo Mom. She's here now to give you the lowdown on this book. Welcome, welcome to the show, Dr. Angela Matkey. Thank you. (laughs) Well, it's great to have you on the show. Now, Mm -hmm. this is such an incredible reference book. It covers so much from preschool years to middle school, you know, nutrition, mental health, injuries, illness, peer pressure, technology. It's so well laid out. What was the process like putting this together? You know, first of all, the process was so much fun. We wanted to write a book for anyone out there who wants to be a good parent. You know, there's a lot of information and a lot of noise out there on the Internet directed towards parents, and it's really hard to know what information is accurate. And and what's important, even. And what's important. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And we've tried to create the latest evidence-based information and present it in a manner that's useful and practical and pragmatic for families. Right. Okay, so now we're coming into the summer months. So give us a few reminders on summer safety. 
Right. Okay. So there's something I teach families called the rule of 30. So an SPF 30 and also a DEET of 30 or less when it comes to insect repellents. Okay. So bugs, mosquitoes, ticks, those are all going to be coming up (laughs) all around (laughs) us pretty soon. Make sure, um, you know, if you're around water, it's a good idea to have one adult who's dedicated that is not distracted and is watching the kids in the water to take turns Mm -hmm. doing that. Okay. So now one of my biggest concerns, which I think a lot of parents share, is the screen time and how do we limit it and how really does it affect their growing brains? Oh, those are all wonderful questions. So the American Academy of Pediatrics has created something called the Family Media Plan on HealthyChildren.org. And you can go there and kind of work through it with your family and figure out for each child how much, when, where, how we're going to use it, and most importantly, where are our screen-free zones in our family's life? Mm-hmm. Children less than age two really don't need any screen time. What they need is unstructured play. Mm-hmm. When you get to the preschool age group, I've got one of these as well. I would really try to limit screen time, make it less than an hour or a day or less, and if you are going to do it, co-viewing is a great idea because you can really make it an educational learning okay. and interactive opportunity if you are doing that together with your child. Mm-hmm. When you get to the school age I've got one of these as well. Media starts to become a more important part of their life, right? There is no one-size-fits-all approach for families. Some of it is not all bad. There Mm -hmm. are benefits. It also can promote civic engagement, community participation, okay? okay? It should not interfere with their peer relationships, their family relationships, their business homework. activity, <laughs> their homework, exactly, their school, and most importantly, their sleep. Right. Um, they need sleep, um, and so you need to have that time to unplug, and you need to role model that yourself as a parent. Mm-hmm. Set down the cell phone, you know, engage with your child. Okay, so now as parents, sometimes the job does get overwhelming, especially if we're working and we're trying to juggle work and home. And there is a chapter in there called Embracing Good Enough. And I would like you to speak to that because I found that very empowering. That is one of my favorite chapters. I think parents need to practice self-care. You cannot take care of your children if you're not taking care of yourself first. So true. And then another tip I would give to families is making sure you're trying to stay in the moment and Mm -hmm. be mindful of what's going on. And it's so easy to get distracted constantly. Yeah, right, right. It's okay to focus on one thing at a time. You don't have to always be multitasking. And whatever you can do in that moment is absolutely good enough. So then, and finally, a personal question for you, because you're in the throes of this. Could you speak to the work-life balance? Is there such a thing, and how does that look for you? I think that every person is going to figure out what works best for them. It's important to get a good team surrounding you to help you go through parenting process. I have an awesome partner. I have supportive parents that are involved. I have excellent child care, and I couldn't do this all without them. And my kids are stronger for it. Okay. And, you know, I think we tend to beat ourselves up sometimes when we're not there for everything, especially if we're working. So mentally talk about how you walk yourself through that. I think one of the best tips I ever got was from one of my partners who's a pediatrician too and I was kind of missing some of the first milestones from my children. She said, you know what, I always think about it as the first time they do it with me is the most important time and that's what I'm going to focus on and cherish. And so really it kind of gets back to just being mindful in that moment and enjoying the time that you have with your children. Okay, well I love that. Well thank you so much for joining the show. Have a great day. Mm -hmm. Dr. Angela Matkey, the Mayo Clinic Guide to Raising a Healthy Child. 
Well, guys, it's time for our favorite part of the show. It's show notes. Yes, this is where your radio sisters pick out the best advice we feel that each guest gave you today. So you can take these bits of inspiration into your week. All right. Now, today you first heard from Grammy-nominated NCMA Song of the Year winning Gretchen Peters. Now, her advice for you, if you're doing anything artistic in your life, she said, honor your talent. If you poo-poo it and say things to yourself like, oh, this is just a hobby, then you'll never make real time for it. Guys, this is so good. She went on to share three tips for your craft. You have to make a time for it. An hour a day is all you need, even if you have to get up earlier. You also need a dedicated place to do your craft. And thirdly, she said you need that time alone. That spark of creativity happens when you're in a place of solitude. Amen. Gretchen, thanks for sharing those great tools. And thanks for sharing your thoughts behind your new album, Dancing with the Beast, today. Love, Gretchen. Okay, what advice is next, sisters? Then you heard from guitarist who's been named one of the top 100 guitarists of all time. Gary Hoey was here. So what was Gary's advice, Allie? Well, he talked about the importance of having dog ears. (laughs) And what he means by that is if you're a musician and you're listening to a playback, he said you need to take a break and then just throw it on and listen to it when you're doing something like cleaning or paying the bills and you're a bit distracted. And then your dog ears are going to pick up the little things you need to tweak in that mix. So we thought that was a really solid piece of advice if you're listening to playbacks. I know exactly what he's talking about. If something's really good or something needs fixing, your ears will pick it up. Yep, your ears perk up. So thanks, Gary Hoey, for hanging today. And guys, catch part two with Gary Hoey next weekend's show. Be sure to check out his latest album, Neon Highway Blues, and his upcoming Midwest tour dates. And then Dr. Angela Matke, pediatrician at the Mayo Clinic, shared a parenting tip. She said, be mindful in the moments you have with your kids. It's okay to focus on one thing at a time. You don't always have to multitask. Mm-hmm. And whatever you can do in that moment is good enough. Comforting words. You can get this and other great pieces of advice from the Mayo Clinic Guide to Raising a Healthy Child. And Dr. Matke, thank you for stopping by the show and reminding us. That as parents, we don't have to be perfect. Sometimes good enough is just good enough. Oh, yeah. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Mulberry Lane Show. So glad you guys hung out with us today. We'll be here waiting for you, same time, same place, next weekend. Yep, we'll meet you right here on the sister couch. Until then, we want you to fly your creative flag. That's right, (laughs) Bo. Stay happy and stay blessed. Allie, don't forget to be awesome. Rachel, that's a wrap. Sunlight, the moonlight, and the streetlight. If it's tonight, you got me. Yeah.